You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Foreplay. And before you freak out and think, oh my gosh, can you talk about these things? I think there are things in the world that the world is hijacked. I think there are things that we're all worried about talking about in church or talking to our kids about. And it's better if they hear it from the scripture and they hear it from us than they hear it from the world because the world has taken it and twisted it and turned it and made it some terrible thing. Now, without diving too far into what it is, and let me put it into terms that a kid can understand. Anything that you do that leads to having sex with somebody could be considered foreplay. And for young girls who dress provocatively, or older girls who dress provocatively, that is a form of foreplay. But for a lot of people, they're doing something they don't even realize they're doing. They're sending off a signal, and what they're doing is being flirtatious. They're saying, you know what, I'm here. And anything that leads to ending up in a place, and the place is having sex with someone, ending up there with somebody, that is part of this process. There is stimulation. One of the words in the definition for foreplay is stimulation. Oddly enough, one of the other definitions for the word is action or behavior that precedes an event. And I want to track today two things. How that there is a difference between intimacy and just doing an act and between just coming to church and truly worshiping. I'm not sure how I'll get through all this today, but I'll try. We have this God who, if you've never put it in these terms, this God who has basically seduced us all with a love that is so unbelievable, it is almost impossible to resist. This groom comes along and literally doesn't just say, hey, I love you. He says, watch this, I'm saying the words, I'm dying to prove it. Now, how in the world do you walk away from that kind of love? The old term was courting. I've done a message before with the title of woo. It's not a Chinese word. It's what God does to us. He doesn't come and say, you will love me. This is the deal, I'll force you to love me. He loves us so much that he sucks us in almost. And you say, well, how does that happen? Just share the gospel sometime with someone and look at their face. It's the nuttiest story on the planet, but you look at somebody and you say, here's the deal. The God of the universe loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much. He was willing to leave heaven to come here for no other reason but to die for you, to say, I love you and I want you. I want you with me. I want to know you. I want you to be my bride. Now, not a lot of sermons come out of this, and I'm not going to stay here today, but I want you to go to Song of Solomon, and thank God this thing's in code, because if it wasn't, we couldn't even read it. For reasons of decorum, probably, for many, many, many years, the Song of Solomon has just been seen as an allegory, a comparison between Christ and his church and all that. You know what? These are two people madly in love. And the Bible gives us a category for a one-man, one-woman relationship the way it is supposed to be. And I hope I got three daughters in my house 
you know, every once in a while I'll walk in or be in the room, you know, with the girls and I'll grab Rebecca and kiss her and almost in unison they say, get a room, dad. And sometimes I'll say, I have a room and you're in it. <laughs> so maybe you need to leave my room. Now, what do I want? I want my little girls to grow up and, you know, they know me, but they don't know me. I can be the most selfish guy and we'll get to that too. And Rebecca can fill you in on all that. What do I want them to see? I want them to see how it's supposed to be. I want them to see their dad loving their mom, wanting to be with their mom, getting them a babysitter, leaving town, doing whatever. I want them to understand, you know what? I love you, but I love your mama. You know what? They feel safer knowing that I love their mama. If I love their mama and want to be with their mom, that means they're going to be in a safe house. Kids feel safe when you love each other. You don't love each other, kids get freaked out. They go, oh my gosh, what happens if this blows up? And then I got to go between two houses. Love each other. It does something and it models something. It gives them a picture of intimacy. They don't have to see everything and don't want to see everything, but they say, you know what? My mom and dad don't just say words. They express these things. If I walk in with roses or something or a gift or whatever it may be, my little girls watch this stuff. Now, is it just that I'm trying to give them a picture of marriage? Well, I'll tell you what, they have to do the thing. I love my wife. It's not that I'm trying to act something out in front of my kids. I love my wife. I want to be with my wife. But beyond just modeling marriage to them, what are they seeing? They are also seeing, and when they read the scriptures, they go, oh my gosh, that's what Jesus is toward his bride. It is not a distant thing. It is not a disconnected thing. It's an intimate thing. It is a personal thing. It is a close thing. It is Jesus wanting to walk and talk with you every day and know you and be known by you. Not this thing of, well, you stay over here, you're God, and I'm over here, and you know, we'll just go through the motions and act like everything's okay when it's not. Go to chapter 1 of Song of Solomon. I'm not going to go into all the code because it's just really, it's not code. It's just, if you look up some of these words, they mean a whole other thing, and I'll just read it, and you can figure it out as we go. But I'm going to read little excerpts out of this thing. I'm not reading the whole book. But I want you to see what is going on here between these two people. It starts in chapter 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. I mean, he doesn't mess around here. Chapter two, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine because the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you. Go to chapter two, verse five. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples for I am lovesick. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. Now you show me a woman who doesn't want to have the man she loves, left hand under his head and right hand on the small of her back, that leads to something, all right? I'm not saying try it right now. Um, and she's giving you this information. Go to chapter 3, verse 4. Scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to the house of my mother and into the chamber of her who conceived me. She's taken him to the place where she was conceived. Chapter 4, verse 1 here. Behold, now this is, I'm warning you, it's a little cheesy unless the right person's saying it to you. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. And by the way, let me go to this phrase. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. The cool thing about burqas and the whole Islamic thing and the whole Old Testament and all that is women didn't go around flashing everything they had for the whole world. You think that stuff never comes off? It comes off for the right person. And one of the most sensuous, seductive things on the planet 
is a pair of eyes gazing out behind something. You don't know what else is in there, but if the eyes get you, you're almost in more trouble than seeing everything else. And so someone is saying here, you have dove's eyes behind your veil. I just see the eyes. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now I'm I'm reading it. I'm just telling you back then that probably meant something. I'm not suggesting trying any of this. (laughs) You know, it's probably not going to work today. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. And I'm sure that looked all that and everything, but I don't try that at my house. Verse 2, your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep. In other words, they're smooth. There's something about this, this way of saying it. Which have come up from the washing, every one of them, every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David built for an armory on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. I will go my way to the mountains of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Go down to verse 11. Your lips, O my spouse, drip as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under your tongue, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden enclosed, verse 12, and by By the way, this is pretty, you know, cut to the chase if you go look it up. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Now, and by the way, nobody's doing anything yet. It's words. Now, the problem with our words today is we get in the office and we throw something out. Boy, you're looking hot today. Why are you saying that to someone you're not married to? See, well, it's flirtation. You know what? If you're going to strike matches, you better have a safe thing to light. Because something's going to catch on fire, somebody's going to get burned. Words have power. Words have meaning. And part of the wooing that God does with us is you read the scripture and all of a sudden it gets all over you and you find stuff that, and you realize it's true. Psalm 139 is enough to get most people going. You want to strike a match? Just go read that. You say, I don't know if God loves me. God loved you before you were even conceived. He knew you in the womb. He has so many thoughts towards you. You say, I don't believe that. It doesn't change the fact that he loves you. Go to chapter 5, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 10. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with beryl. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. That's how she saw him. His legs are pillars of marble set on brass of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. Interesting that she refers to his countenance. It's not just physical. It's even who he is, what she sees in his face. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and I love this phrase, and this is my friend. You don't make love to strangers. And if you do, you have no intimacy. You experience no love. It is raw. It is wham, bam, you're out of there. It's like, you know what? This means nothing. And we treat God the same way. We blow into his presence and say, you know what? I don't have a lot of time here for all the the singing, all the conversation. Here's my list. This is what I need, and I got to go. I have needs. You're supposed to meet my needs. You died for me, grace, mercy, all that. I'm in here, and I want you to do something for me. Take care of me. Now, as I go through this in this parallel, 
There are a lot of married women who feel the same way. They don't hear any words anymore. And if they do, they think, what do you want? You know, if you don't say it normally, and then you whip something out, they go, okay, what's the angle? Because it started out with words. See, we woo women with words and with actions. And then once we get them, we say, well, got that one. Next thing. And she's mine. And you're supposed to take care of me and meet my needs. You know what? If you're looking for love, you're looking for intimacy, you better be trying the same stuff that worked in the beginning to keep it moving. Let me read you a few more, and then we'll address that a little bit more. Look at chapter 6, verse 5. Now, guys, I'm telling you, this is some unbelievable intimacy. Look what it says. Turn your eyes away from me, for they have overcome me. Don't even look at me anymore. I can't stand it. Just you looking at me is going to take me out. Chapter 7, and I don't want to read all of this because I then would have to put a PG-13 rating on the CD. Chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful are your feet in sandals. Of course, a lot of women love this verse because it justifies shoe buying. <laughs> How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O princess daughter. The curves of your thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a skillful workman. Your navel is a rounded goblet. It lacks no blended beverage. Your waist is a heap of wheat, small heap. We're not going for big heaps here. Set about with lilies. And then he goes on to describe this amazing woman. You say, well, I wouldn't describe someone that way. Well, how do you describe her? What words are you using on your wife? Intimacy. Ambrose Pierce said intimacy. He defined it as a relation into which fools are providentially drawn for their mutual destruction. Now, that's one way to look at intimacy. I don't agree with that one. David Weir says, for a man to feel loved, he needs to make love. For a woman to make love, she needs to feel loved. So that's why the foreplay, the romance, is so much more important to a woman. Now you say, okay, well, we all understand that. Now let's go back to something. Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. So he comes along and woos us. You talk about the perfect groom, perfect timing, completely unselfish. He comes after us, his church, and he says, I want to be intimate with you. I want to know you. Now, just patiently track with me for a minute. Men experience rejection and they never talk about it they experience more rejection than anybody's ever saying because men chase women they marry a woman and they continue to chase her and then women because of many things and i wrote some down so i wouldn't have any misunderstanding here a man's always interested in hooking up than a woman usually men are more interested in getting together than women a woman's interest seems to require planetary alignment and i'll just leave it at that you know if things are right now, with Jesus, when he comes after us, let me tell you something. Things are right from his side. She may roll over. She may brush him aside. She may say, no, I'm too tired. I have a headache. And usually when she says, have a headache, you are that headache. <laughs> and the crazy thing about men is that they don't go away. God has made a man to survive any amount of rejection, and he will regroup and come back. <laughs> now... As a man, if you keep coming back and your tactics are not working, you would think you'd change your tactic and learn something. And usually it takes a long time before men figure these things out, if ever. And a husband may be thinking, you know what? She needs to make more time for me. You need to get your mind on it. Save some energy for me. Don't give me the last few volts of your battery. Make being with me a priority. 
Now track with me. You understand as a guy what some of these things feel like, and you as women know what these things feel like. So the God of the universe comes along, and he says, I'd like to spend some time with you. And we as the bride roll over. And we say, well, you know what, Jesus? I understand that, and you got a lot of needs to be with me, but I'm tired now. Maybe tomorrow, maybe some other time. Now, it's not a sexual thing, and he walks away going, wow, all I want to do is be with my bride. Maybe one day she won't reject me because I'm doing everything right. I'm not just saying I love you. I got plenty more words to back it up, and I have literally died to spend time with you, eternity with you, and I'd just like a little bit of your day along the way. Just a few minutes. It doesn't take long. Now, see, all of us understand what the groom may feel like. Many of us do. And I think all the women understand what it's like to be in that hard place, that difficult place as a bride, trying to meet everybody's needs. Let me tell you something, church, and that's what we are. We are the bride. We better find some time for Jesus because your life's going to go better. His plans are going to be accomplished. It will change everything. I want to read you a few verses, and I'm going to go through these quick. Jeremiah 31.3 says this, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Romans 8.35-39 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us. He loves us so much, and when you understand that and you know that, you know his love, there's nothing going to come that you know he can't get you through. For I am persuaded, and I love when Paul writes this. He's not saying, I think this. You know, I'm not as much interested. I want to hear somebody say, you know what? I believe this is what we ought to do. I don't think this is what we ought to do. Tell me what you believe. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've got to nail down the fact that he loves you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. It's dying. It's giving your whole life up. Now, let me tell you something. I read the verse. I do weddings. I've married a bunch of you and said all these words. I am the most selfish man in the room. I can sit down with couples and give you all the answers. You ought to do this and that. And I can read you Song of Solomon. But most of the time, you know, I'm an end game kind of person. I'm just, you know, take care of me. But every once in a while, you just want to slow it down. And maybe you got to leave the country. Maybe you got to get a hotel somewhere. Maybe you got to find a place. And it really isn't about doing something. It is about a process. And every once in a while, I catch myself looking at my wife and saying, man, you got beautiful eyes. Now, am I saying that to get somewhere? I hope not. I don't have to be lying because it's true. You know what? It does me good to tell her how beautiful she is. It does her good to hear it. And it makes the thing run a whole lot more smoothly because she doesn't think I'm just after something. She knows I'm after her. Not somebody, someone. 1 John 4.19, a simple phrase. We love him because he first loved us. You know why I love God? Not because I would have loved God. Because he loved me first. Paul wrote something else in Philippians 3.10. 
He says this, that I may know him. And the word for know is to learn, to understand, to perceive, to have knowledge of, but it is also a Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse between a man and a woman. Paul uses a word, he says, you know what? I don't just want to know stuff about you. I want to know you. You can sit on a date with someone and exchange information. What people hate about dates is that whole thing. Hi, how are you? Oh, you look so nice. Can I get your door? Bada bing, bada boom. We go through all this. Where are you from? Where do you work? Tell me about your family. We're getting information. But somewhere you got to cross the line if there's going to be a relationship where it's about knowing the person. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want to know my wife. She wants to be known by me. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Henry Ward Beecher was a liberal U.S. congressional minister, and this is what he said back in the 1800s. I never knew how to worship until I knew how to love. When Satan came to tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall listen to these two things. He said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. If you're having trouble serving God, my question to you would be, are you worshiping? Because serving comes out of worshiping. I never dreamed that loading a dishwasher, washing and folding clothes, taking out the trash, going to a thrift store with my wife could ever be classified as foreplay. But when I serve her, it's somehow connected to my loving her, and she feels that love, and all of a sudden is drawn to me. You're not going to do much worshiping without serving. You're not going to know much about love without serving, or serving without love either way. A visitor to a Quaker meeting stands up after five minutes of silence and asks, when does the service begin? And an old friend, they called him, rises after a brief reflection and says, service begins when the worship ends. And I'm going to encourage you, whether it's here, you say, well, I don't know how to worship out there by myself. Then what the heck do you think we're sitting here together for? Because what we don't know how to do on our own, sometimes watching somebody else, you say, wow, I didn't know that. I'm going to give you an example of one way to do it. A couple of examples, maybe. You can read scripture to him. You say, I don't know what to say. Open your Bible. Read the Psalms to him. Tell him how awesome he is. You say, I don't have the words. You got him right there. Somebody already wrote them for you. Psalm 18, 1 and 2, verse 1 starts out, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. You say, well, I don't know if I'd come up with that. Don't, you don't have to. Just reading the Psalms. I love you. Tell him how great he is. Thank him for what he's done. You don't have to make stuff up. Just think about it. Another one that I don't do enough, and I don't think many men do this to women because they're embarrassed that they can't sing maybe and just don't know how it's going to come across. But music works to seduce the world. Why don't you try it on Jesus? I'm too busy to sing to Jesus. Exactly. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there on the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Our Father, I thank you so much for coming after us. 
not making us do anything, but just making the love so amazing, the grace so amazing, the pursuit, the wooing, the courting, the the foreplay, so to speak, spiritually, so incredible that there's no way we can walk away. We have been seduced by the God of the universe in the purest of ways. Father, thank you for wanting to know us, that you do know everything about us, but not just information about us. You know our hearts. You know when we sit down, when we get up, you know everything about us. Give us a desire, Lord. Help us to respond as the bride to your touch, to your words, and want to know you in return, not just words, not just things, facts about you, but who you are, how you think, how you feel about us, and how you long to be with us and to be near us. Father, help me not get away from this relationship that I desperately need with you and you desperately want with me. Father, you're the best. Nobody ever loved us like you have. Nobody ever will. You are everything we've hoped for, everything we need, and we worship you today and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you, and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talk from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.